Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, if you remember in chapter, the beginning of chapter 3, and we'll see here in the remaining of chapter 3, that believers are to have a walk that pleases God. We are to have a walk. What does that mean to have a walk? As we walk through our lives day by day, moment by moment, regardless of where you're at, you walk a certain way at church, you may walk a different way at work or in your homes or in your neighborhoods. It should not be. Our walk should be consistent in who we are, our nature as a child of God, regardless of the environment or who's around us. We should be walking the same way, and that is to be a child of God representing Him in our walk. So when people look at you and see how you're walking, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. Did you hear that conversation? Did you see how they didn't react or did they react to that situation? And it should speak loudly to those who are non-believers around us. But not only even that, remember the letter that's being written here by Paul while he's in Rome in jail is to believers back in Philippi. So remember, there's some discontent, there's a disunity within the believers in the Philippi church. And because there's a couple of women, we will see later on here in chapter 4, we'll see there's some division going on, some issues going on. And Paul's writing this letter to bring back to unity. Ladies, get back. We have to have unity here. And he's going to continue to, to exhort and to encourage and to, to, to give guidance of how to live that or walk that Christian walk or run that race as a Christian. And today we'll see clarify that for you and I as we go and look at the scriptures today through this. Because Paul's here, it was a completely a, a huge spiritual giant in the eyes of the believers in Philippi in Philippi. He said these Philippian saints just they wanted them to to just he, they wanted him to be there with them and, and he they even sent Epaphroditus with some money to, to help him in the ministry while in Rome and in prison and helping him encourage him through that. He turned around, was writing this letter and sending back saying, Oh, I wish I could be there. Boy, I want to be there with you and help you guys through this, this situation in the church. Church, but they couldn't be at that moment in time. But their hearts still wanted to be there to help one another, encourage one another. And so they thought of him and we see him as a tremendous uh, example for them as a spiritual giant in the faith. And so he, Paul, wanted them to know that he had not obtained the goals stated that he stated in verse 10. And then even as we go back and look at verses 12 through 14, he says, I haven't arrived yet. Yes, I, I love the Lord and I'm just continuing to press forward. I'm continuing to walk with him. I'm continuing to just stay very focused on him and my walk with him because I know that I have an upward call that he's given me, a, a goal. He's given me a mission to be here while on earth, knowing that ultimately he's going to bring me home and I'll be in his presence. And I just want to be faithful in doing those things. I don't want the world to grip me. I don't want the, my flesh to grip me. I don't want the things of this world, just to, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life to make this worldliness be who I am. I want to be living for Christ, single-minded, submissive-minded, and absolutely sold out for Him in every aspect of my life. 
And he's saying to these people here in the, the believers, he says, I, I haven't arrived here. It's been 30 years since my conversion on the road to Damascus. Since 25 years in the mission field, working for God, doing what he's called me to do. And I haven't arrived yet. I haven't obtained what I need. I'm not perfect. The sanctification process is still happening here. And I'm not telling you in words because I've arrived. I'm telling you these are the right things because I'm following Christ and this is what God's called me to do. And I'm saying that is what you need to do. And as he continues here the rest of chapter 3, we were going to see that same encouragement for you and I to continue to walk regardless of what's happening around your feelings and all these other things that can overwhelm you and the, and the, the, the exterior influences. But let your mind be set upon him, the scripture says. Paul's salvation experience was taking place. And even though he had gone through so many, so many trials and tribulations and tests he has been one spiritual battle after spiritual battle after spiritual battle he went through that what was the result for paul he had matured he had grown in his life in his depthness of of knowing god he had an, a deeper a deeper commitment for god is he was just doing exactly what god wanted him to do but as he matured and as he grew through these years, he was being very straightforwardly confessing to these believers in Philippi that he said, I have, that I have not obtained all of this. I am not perfect. I'm not perfect. But he knew he was on the right track. He knew he was walking with God and God was going to be faithful to complete that work of sanctification in his life and he would then ultimately receive the ultimate prize and which is what the upward call that means i'm going home to be with christ he's going to call me home and that is when i become perfected in the work that god has started at the time of conversion of being saved now god's work in us is for that he then can work through us in our present time. So he wants us as we apply ourselves in the things of the spiritual life that God reveals to us. God is able to mature us and strengthen us as well on our walk, on our road, our race, and our race that we're finding ourselves in here. And as we look ahead, we continue just keeping our eyes on him and following and continue to walk or run that race. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says exercise, and it's a different version here, but exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. He was so excited, the fact that, yeah, you can go work out, you can look good, you can smell good, you can act, but man, it is about godliness. It's about the change of the inward man and the inward woman, not the exterior. It's that, 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 that prize of the profit that comes from godliness coming. He had a deep desire to know God and to live obedient to the word of God. Do you? How's your walk? Do you desire the same things that Paul is saying? Or do you desire to have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is in your life and your Savior? And is he Lord of your life? And are you obedient to the word of God? You get to measure that. 
I don't have to measure that. I could t- you have to measure that. That's between you and the Lord. But as we see here, Paul is encouraging them toward the goal. As a runner presses forward and runs and, and goes through the pains and the suffering and the sprinting and the long distance, that spiritual determination to finish and finish well. And he says there in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, The prize of the high upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. We will receive and we'll hit our goal. We will receive which we want, and that is the rewards. Paul is not suggesting that we obtain. We don't get to go to heaven based on our efforts of doing things. He is simply saying that just as an athlete is rewarded for his performance, so the faithful believer will be crowned when Jesus Christ returns and all Christians may receive the reward. We have to remember that the important thing is that we reach the goal he has, he has established for us. Not what you've established. Not how you determine his Christianity, but what the scriptures, what he has determined is the goal. That is what we're to obtain. That is what we're to establish in us. No matter how successful we may be in our eyes or in the eyes of men or those around us, we cannot be rewarded unless we what? We see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That we're in the will of God and that we're accomplishing what he has called us to do. That is what matters to us. That's why he says in verse 15, Therefore let us as many as are mature. One of the marks of someone who is spiritually mature is the desire to continue to go on and live for Christ that wants to have a deeper relationship with Christ and to know him at a deeper level, wider, higher, lower. It doesn't matter the depths you or the widths or the heights. You just want to get down in more and more in your relationship with him. So how is your walk? Are you going deeper? Are you going wider? Is he taking you depths and heights and widths that you've never been in your spiritual walk? Are you maturing? Are you growing? But the Apostle Paul here, he says, if you are really maturing, you're going to have, you will have the same mindset that I have. That he was just saying to them, your focus is on Christ and you want a deeper relationship with Christ and obedient of Christ. Because Paul trusted that God would reveal the necessities or things that need to happen in someone's life to be able to do that. That's why at the very end of those, that area, he says, he just, he just he says, have the same mindset. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal. See, he understood his, his walk and his ability to teach the people and to lead them and encourage them in the walk to Christ... There, he, he didn't put the entire pressure on himself as being the one that saves a person. He didn't say, you have to come here to, for you to be saved. You must come to this church to be saved. You must do this. He didn't know that. He knew that it was God that was going to reveal to you as you grow and mature. He was just, he was just at a point in his life that he was used, being used God, by God to, for God to work through his life to encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. Just like he was doing. 
So he didn't sit there and make himself higher and more mightier because he was a pastor or a priest or whatever title they may put themselves on. But he says, no. He says, I just want God to reveal even this to you, that just to be very focused on what God has revealed to to us in his word. See, remember, it is not enough to run hard and run the race. It's not about just getting in the race. That's like, okay, I just got to get saved so I don't go to hell. Then some people get, okay, I'm not going to hell because I'm now saved. And then that's all they do. I'm saved. I'm good. But then there's some who have the mentality that says, oh, I'm going to get saved. Okay, I'm good. I'm in the race. But I'm going to run really hard. What Checklist. What? Give me a checklist so I can do the things you need me to do. And then I can go and I say, I got the checklist all done, so I must be really in good standing with God. That's legalism. That's legalistic. That's the Judaizers that Paul's going to talk about here and has been talking about. So you can have the two different pendulum swings. You can get saved and then sit there and say, I can live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do. I continue to live in my sins. I can continue to live however I want to, going contrary to the word of God. Or you can go to the other side and say, I'm going to follow the list and be really legalistic, and I'm going to make sure everyone else is following the list too. That's the Judaizers. Those are the legalistics. Those are religiosity. But Paul is saying, you've got to get into the race. And once the runner's in the race, then the race, the, the, the runner must, yes, run hard. But they also have to what? Obey the rules of the race. See, in the Greek, at the Greek time here, in the Greek games, or we call the Olympic games today, there, there's a race. There's a runner's. They're running, going to run really hard, but they have to obey the rules of the race. You can't trip someone else up. You can't sit there and say, I know it's going to be a few laps, but I'm just going to cross, the, I'm just going to cut across so I can cut down my race. I'm not going to go up and start ahead of the line. I have to be right at the line. Everyone starts the same way, and everyone has to finish the same way. You have to cross the line. You can't sit there and go, you know, I'm 100 meters away, and I, I, I think I'm, I'm good enough. You have to obey the law. You have to obey the rules. And the judges would determine, right? And if you, didn't, if you broke a rule, then what happened? You were disqualified. Now, as a runner, as we sit there, Paul is really saying, we do not lose our citizenship. They didn't sit there and say, you as a runner who represents the following country, the United States, you, didn't, you broke the rules, and the judges there at the Olympics says, you're disqualified. That didn't stop him being a U.S. citizen. He's still a U.S. citizen. But the problem is, is he disgraced his citizenship. He broke the rules. And so we see here, and the emphasis here in verses 15, and when we get here to 16, is that Paul's emphasis is the importance of Christianity, the Christian remembering there's spiritual rules laid down in the word of God, and that you and I, if we're in the race, if you're a born-again believer, if you've been converted here and you're a child of God, there are spiritual rules outlined in the word of God that you and I must stay in line with. And if we break the rule, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You're still the citizen of God. You're still a citizen of heaven. You're still born again. 
That, but you, you've disgraced, you've caused a rippling effect around others who are part of the same family, part of the same citizenship. We don't want to do that. But Paul had great trust in the ability of the Lord to deal with his people individually to help them grow and mature and to sanctify each and every person according to how God sees where they're at at that point in their walk, where they're at that in the point of their race. And that he knew it wasn't him that was going to do it. It was God himself, the Spirit of God, is going to come and will bring the change in the person's life as needed. That's why he says in verse 16, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. See, Paul would not allow a lack of understanding of a believer to excuse anyone from doing what he did, not, he did know to be the Lord's will. See, so many people say, oh, you know, I know I'm saved. I, okay, I, I asked Jesus in my life, and, and he's my Savior, and I'm saved from hell. But, you know, I don't really want to know what the Word of God says. I'm content just not knowing. Well, that's not how it works. He's put a drive now in for you as the Spirit of God that lives within you to have a deeper relationship with him, to know the spiritual guidelines here that he gives us in the Word of God. It gives you a hunger. You have to read the Word of God. That's one of the indicators that you know you're saved. You desire the Word of God. You want to know the Word of God. And you know that's why you're saved. Because you're not going to want to read the Word of God if you're not saved. I assure you. Because it goes completely against your nature as a non-believer. You're not going to want to know the Word of God. And as a child of God, you desire for the things of God and you want to know because you want to walk. You want to have that, let us have that same mind. Now, notice in the end of verse 16, he says, let us be of the same mind. Let, we're all working this way. We're all wanting to run and work and go toward what God's will is. And know it. And whatever God reveals to you, if he says, this is my will for you, because he reveals it in his word, then all we need to do is be obedient to what God has shown you. And as you walk, he then reveals you more of God's will for your life. And then once he reveals more of God's will for your life, what do you do? Be obedient. Continue to, now you add that and you continue to do that. And that's why you don't compare yourself to other Christians. Because everyone has a different walk. They're, different, they're on first lap or the third lap or they're just around the corner. The ones on the straight way. Everyone's in a different walk in their life with Christ. But just know that they're all following. There shouldn't be characteristics. Someone ahead of you should be deeper and, and more. Uh, God's will has been revealed to them more than just a brand new believer. But don't lose faith. Don't lose faith here because keep focused because you're going down the same road, the same path. God's going to reveal his will to you. Just be obedient. Not that you've already attained it, Paul says. I haven't attained it. I'm not there yet. I'm still growing too. God's still revealing his will for me too. And we'll continue just to walk by the same rule or the word of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Just like we see here, he, re, he writes in verse 14, Any man who enters in an athletic contest or practice or presses forward is pressing forward with this rigid 
self-control and training. It's called discipline. You must discipline yourself. Because you, you want to discipline. You want to know. You have to bring those thoughts under captivity that goes against the word of God. You must choose not to go down when your flesh wants to go this way and the world tells you to go. You must discipline yourself. Say, God, help me. And ask for help to give you the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit to give you to be able to stay on the path that God has for you. But you have to discipline yourself on those things. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.5, no contest in the, games of, uh, in the games is crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. That's why I say in James 1.22, it says, be doers of the world, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So many people say, oh, I'm in the race. I'm, you know, I'm just, I heard it. Yeah, I, I kind of know it. But no, no, he says, you need to do it. The problem is, is sometimes we think more highly of ourselves and we, th- we kind of think, what do I think about this? Or what is the other guy I've been watching on YouTube, what does he think about this? It doesn't matter what you think or what that guy thinks. It, what, what matters is not what you think or even the spectators of the race. What matters is the judge wa- judging your race. It matters what God thinks. It matters what he says. Remember, each and every one of us as Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. And that should be very exciting for you and I. The fact that when we're, opposite, when we're out of this, this, this body in the presence of the Lord and with new bodies, we're going to be sitting in front of the judgment seat of Christ, which we refer to as Bema Seat where we're going to be judged and will be rewarded for the things we did for Christ. The things that we're being in line with his calling. He says, this is what you did, and you're going to be given crowns of rewards. I don't know, but I'm excited about that. Are you? Because if you're, depending on how your walk is, you're going to be excited. If your walk is not lining up, then you're probably not very excited. But today you can change that. Repent of the things you need to repent of. Rejoice in the things you need to rejoice in. And then let's press forward. Like Paul says, I haven't obtained it. Have you obtained it? No. Am I perfect? Are you perfect? No. But like Paul says, I press forward. Are you going to press forward in your walk today? I encourage you to do so. Because Paul is encouraging us through, by God, by the Spirit, encouraging us today that we are to be excited about the experience of the finishing our race, looking unto Jesus, as we see in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And it will be even more exciting when we receive that upward calling and receiving and being in heaven with our, our, our Savior. And we're going to be receiving our rewards. What a beautiful future ahead of us. We should be every day within great anticipation of that. But Paul says there, let us be of that same mind. Are we all have that same mindset today? As we walk this walk of Christianity here in this place where God has us today, are we truly walking with that same mindset, just waiting with the anticipation of God's return to, to soon and very soon take us home? I really pray that you do. 
And see, part of what Paul is trying to get them to say is because of the disconnect that's happening in the church there between those ladies and probably others, is that they need to have the same mindset. Get your eyes off the, the things that are causing disunity. Put your eyes on the fact that God is coming back for you. I, what, what is your calling that he's put on your life? Focus on that. Just be obedient to the word of God. And then this disunity and the things that happen with it among people will, will, will go away. That's why he says, Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are, they are agreed? So it's like even a married couple. Where a lot of the disconnect between married couples is because they do not agree on something. Well, so when then, what's a solution, a marriage solution? Get your eyes off yourself and what you, pleases you and your flesh and this world that, or influence of other people that have in your minds that you're listening to and stop it. And get into the Word of God and study the Word of God and focus on the Word of God and then ask the Lord, what do you have us as a married couple to do for you? And then be united in that calling to do it. And you watch the healing take place within a marriage. You'll see the healing take place within a church that's divided. You will see healing takes place between relationships within a family. Again, this is not complex. It's not hard, but not always easy. But because you, you have to die, yes, of self, and you have to live for Christ, and you have to really live for someone else first than yourself. No doubt the greatest need among God's people today, even then, is to live up to what they already have in Christ. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You are to behave and act a certain way according to the word of God. And are you lined up? Or do you have other people speaking to you through YouTube and all these other influences and, and, and bloggers that influencing you, that taking you away from the pure, simple tr uh, of the word of God? It's not complex. Children understand this. A childlike faith. But look, he says then, verse 17, Brethren, join. Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern here. So he says to the brother, just join, follow my example. Not that he is the only example, because notice at the end of the verse, he says, have us for a pattern. He didn't want to be some put up on some pedestal. He didn't think he had already arrived. He already said he hadn't arrived. He hadn't attained. He's not perfect. He says, use us as a pattern. Don't follow my life exactly, but use as a pattern. Meaning, look at some of the things that are taking place in my life. The decisions I make or how I make or how I treat people. So, does it line up with the word of God? Find that pattern and follow that pattern because it's, it's in line with the word of God. I assure you, if you're kind, it lines up with the word of God. That's a pattern you should have adapted into your life. Be kind. There's a thing called love you can find in the scriptures, I assure you. I assure you, follow the pattern of loving other people. <laughs> There's a pattern, just find it. Paul is saying here, I, I'm an example. And note those who also walk with the same kind of a pattern here that's in line with the scripture. Follow the pattern. 
In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me just as I also, what? Imitate the wealthy guy? The tech genius? The media savvy? The power lifter? The billionaires? I assure you, if you follow them, you are going down the same path as some of the many examples that we're seeing in the news today, which is completely against the word of God. He says, like Paul, follow and imitate who? Christ. Paul imitated Christ. Because so if Paul is imitating Christ, and if you're just following, just if you don't even know what, who Christ really is as a new believer today, if you find someone that seems to be imitating Christ and it lines up the word, that's a good example to use. Fathers, you should be an imitation of Christ so that your children can learn from you. Mothers, you should be an imitation of Christ so that your children can learn from you. And then they become of an age of accountability. They come in an age of understanding. And they are then what? Keep their eyes on Christ. Yes, they have great examples in the patterns they see in their family, the moms, the dads, and their cousins, and the people in the church. Yes, these are good patterns, and they're all aligned with it, and encourages them and knows that they're on the right path. And so he says, join in my example and those around us. It's follow this pattern, look and watch, examine, study what goes on. Ask people, how do you make that decision? How do you find, how do you know the will of God? How do you do this? And let those people introduce you an understanding of studying the word of God and following the word of God and listening to God in his still small voice, learning how to pray, learning how to do these things. Because if you don't, verse 18, he says, for many, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. Because if you don't follow me, if you don't follow those who've been following with me, because we've been imitating Christ, and we have a great pattern for you to follow here, because it's in line with the word of God, if you're not doing that, then you're going to be following the many, these false teachers coming in, those many who are going to take you off to the left or to the right and going to lead you astray. These false teachers are going to be subtle and bring you in and bring doubts and stuff in away from the simplicity of the word of God. And then you turn to the Judaizers, those legalistics, or you're going to go to the liberalists and who will go far to the opposite sides. Either way, you've got to watch these people because they're coming in and trying to, to sway you from the simplicity of walking with Christ. These Judaizers, he Paul's doesn't mince any words here. He says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They want to add the law of Moses to the work of redemption of that Christ completed on the cross. These false teachers say, yes, I'm I believe Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for my sins. I got that. But you know you need to follow the laws of Moses, the Ten Commandments. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat. Dietary eating has to be in line with the Judaism. That's what you have to do on top of. They're adding. They're false teachers. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Or you have the liberalist on the other side who says, on the other hand, they're complete opposites. And where they are, they're celebrating the fact that Christ died on the cross for their sins. They love the fact and they, they just love the liberty they have in Christ. But they take that liberty in Christ to the indulgence of their flesh. And they say, oh, I got, I'm, I've got fire insurance here. I'm not going to hell, but I can continue to live however I want to live. I get to be in my sins. I get to live however my lifestyles. I can pursue and follow the things of this world and dictate what I want to do in my life and my job and where I live. I get to dictate all of that. But I'm saved. The pendulum shift to the liberalist. Or you got the Judaizers, those legalists, on the other side. But we have to watch both poles, says here, because they're enemies of the cross. They're going across and going against the simplicity of understanding that Christ paid the all, all of it on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. Don't add and don't delete. See, Paul been dealing with these people as he was going around in these different times here of spreading the gospel, starting churches. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Romans 6. These people would just, they would come in and, and, and through, though they, you know, they got this, understanding of salvation, you know, I'm saved. I, I, want, I want to believe I'm saved here because I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, but I don't have to. I can do it without repentance. I can do it without conversion. I don't have to change my lifestyle. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to read the word of God. I don't need to know God anymore. I just need to know he died on the cross. No, that's the beginning of sanctification. That's the beginning of a changed life. That's where things start changing, where he works in you as you study the word, as he reveals himself. Now he's revealing what he has in store for you. And we need to be obedient to that. Because it is not easy. There's so many people who do not want to follow Jesus by taking up his cross and of self-denial that we see in Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 26. Are we picking up our cross, dying of self, that self-denial for Christ every day and living for him? And, and it brought such, such depth of sadness to Paul. He says, I'm saying this with, as I weep for you because you're getting caught up into the legalist or the liberalists of thinking versus just the simplicity of just loving your Lord and following him and being obedient to the word of God. Because if you don't follow our pattern, you're going to follow their pattern and it leads to destruction, he says. It's, it, the end for their life is destruction. It's not going to go well. And he gives them the pattern. You've seen my pattern. Let me give you their pattern. There's three things you've noticed here in verse 19. Three things of the pattern you can see in a, a false teacher. Their, their God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame too, and who they set their mind on earthly things. So we see here the first one is whose God is their belly. It describes the idolatry of the enemy. The legalists are really into idolatry. They got all the religious artifacts and lighting of candles and the ceremonies and the rituals to kind of make them 
feel religious and help them feel a certain way. And it, it says, don't be careful. They just, it's like filling their belly there. They're just, they're, 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 they're in some cases, sensual indulgences or their pleasures to meet their body, mind, and soul requirements here. It just feels good to my soul to light my candle and sit beside it and gaze into the candle and, and I have a oneness of light. There's all kinds of crazy things that are going on out there. Romans 16, 18 says, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech deceives the hearts of the simple. But these same legalists also were obedient to the Old Testament dietary laws and it became a God for them. You must have that or you're not really saved if you haven't done that. Today, it can be, yes, you believe in Jesus Christ and that's, what, that's who saves you. But if you didn't get baptized in this church, then I... Mm, I'd have to, I would think you probably should question your salvation. It's no difference in many respects. If you did, it's not only do they, they feed their bellies, but look at the second one, whose glory is in their shame because they've misplaced their priorities. Instead of glory, giving glory to God, these false teachers heaped up praise on themselves and they praised the fact that they were circumcised. And you're not circumcised. Now, can you imagine that kind of a fellowship where you're walking around? Are you circumcised? No, are you circumcised? And they glory. No, it should be a shame. It should be a thing of shame here. And they're glorifying in the fact that they were, as Paul said early on, you've been mutilated. You've been deceived and you were mutilated. You were convinced that you had to be circumcised as a Gentile, need to be circumcised to be able to be saved and really be truly have this oneness with God. That's wrong. Then the third, the third pattern that we see here is that you, you, who set their mind on earthly things. It describes their focus of their life. It was not to please and worship God, but to get along in this world. To act and be kind of blend in with the world. That's what the world does. And I want to blend in. Maybe I'll, I'll be relevant. And if I'm relevant, then I can then open possibly conversations. And then maybe I'll tell them about Christ. Check your walk. How many times were you relevant with a non-believer and act and talked and walked and went where they went that you truly shared the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? And if you did, I guarantee you, you're not going to the parties anymore with them, are you? Because you've been ousted out. <laughs> you're no longer invited to the, the, the little gatherings of the things because now you've proclaimed who your Savior and your Lord is and that what you need to do is live for Christ. They're not going to want you around them. But if you blend and you're comfortable with them and they're comfortable with you and they don't, as long as you don't talk about Jesus, how's your walk? See, these men were not spiritually minded. Paul says, be spiritually minded. These people are not spiritually minded. They were earthly minded. They talked about the things when they gathered together, everything about the world, about their flesh, about the world, what the things are, what do you have, what your vacations are, what you're doing, this and that. Again, there's nothing wrong with God's people to care about the earthly affairs, 
Do you see what's happening politically? Yes, I understand that. Do you realize that they're, you know, they, they want abortion? They want the things that go against the things of God. We should be mindful of these things. Pray against these things. Pray against those, the things that don't line up with the word of God. Pray for, you know, people, oh, did you hear them? There's a, another flood in Houston. We should be praying for these people. I, yes, we should know the affairs, what's going on around us. We shouldn't be so isolated. We don't know these things. But to live them and have it be part of our life and people look at you and see, you know, and again, you don't isolate yourself from non-believers because you're trying to share what? The good news. You're trying to share the gospel. That's why they even accused Jesus as a drunkard because he was around them sharing. He wasn't sitting around drinking and having a party time and not talk about the things of God. So the apostle frequently alerted the people of God against the lifestyle that was going on here. But Paul warned him over and over and over again. And it wasn't, it wasn't hard for him. He didn't find it tedious to continue to remind them. Be very careful if you follow their pattern of life versus imitating Christ in that pattern. And so he continues here in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. The, see, the people in Philippi were living in these colonies outside of Rome, and they were Roman citizens. They didn't live in Rome. We're in, in the Greece area. This, they're outside of that. But they were still Roman citizens. They're just aliens in a foreign country where they were living. But that did not change their citizenship of Rome. And if they had a child, they immediately made sure they registered that child to make sure everyone knew they were a Roman citizen of that. So what happens here is Paul says, we are the citizens in heaven. And we should be eagerly wait for the Savior, for what? For him to come back and take us home. Our home is in heaven, not here. I always refer to it as a vacation gone bad. We're just here on vacation in a foreign land. This is not our home. We're looking to go back to where? We're wanting to go heaven. We're just waiting for the ticket to go home. So what happens is here is we see what the Philippians really appreciated being Roman citizens. There were some benefits for being Roman citizens. They, they, but they had to follow the laws of the Roman citizens. And they had to be, follow the customs. Even though they're not in Rome, they still had to follow those rules and regulations, or I should say rituals and laws. Even though we're not in heaven, we're here in this foreign land and aliens we still have to follow the spiritual rules of the scripture. We still have to follow them. We don't just because we're on earth, not in heaven, doesn't mean we get to live earthly, worldly. And so when we sit here, Paul is trying to encourage them. We're citizens of heaven. This is where we come from. This is where we're going. This is what we need to be pondering upon. And just like the Philippians there in, uh, in that, that colony, when they heard that the emperor from Rome was coming to visit that colony, they were so excited, the fact that this, this emperor was coming because that's their emperor. But just like us, Christians, we should be eager waiting for our king, King Jesus, to come back for us. As we wait here in this foreign land. 
with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 21, we see here, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So why would we be eager to go back go to heaven? Why would we be eager for Jesus to return and come perhaps today, Lord, perhaps today you'll come get us, praise God, we'll be out of here? Because, I don't know about you, but Paul says it really clear here. Because our lowly body will be what? Will be conformed to his glorious body. We'll be transformed. I don't know about you, I'm excited about that. Because the older you get, the more aches and pains. I can't wait to get the new body. Now what you have to understand here is, as Paul is saying, is our Savior can do and will be doing something that no Caesar, no president, no leader of a country can do. When we are resurrected, we will have the same type of body that Jesus himself had when he was resurrected. Jesus was not merely resuscitated after the third day. He was not resuscitated. He was, he was raised from the dead and he received his glorified body right there, his new body. And we too will have this patterned, this old yet equipped and fitted for heaven body that will be given to us. Just like Jesus is. See, at the rapture of the church, Christ will transform. He will metaphor, metasis, change the outward form of our bodies, our lowly bodies, so that we will be like his, his glorified body, his identical and essential character of his body. Are you excited about that? Because if you study the scriptures and saw what he did for 40 days after he was resurrected, he was on this earth for 40 more days, look what his body was capable of doing. We have great anticipation. I don't know about you. You don't have to pretend to be Superman <laughs> or Invisible Man or go through walls. We can't wait to what we can't even imagine what we'll be able to capable of doing. But it will be fitted and perfect for heaven and on this earth. But every child of God will be made like the Son of God. We see promise in 1 John 3, 2. That all Christians will receive glorified bodies like Jesus. No more will they have the limitations that you and I experience today with our lowly bodies. The disease that comes upon this body will no longer have effect on us. And sin will no longer have effect on us. But our resurrected bodies will be like Christ. And notice at the very end of that verse, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The reason why we have this promise and hold on to this promise is because we serve and have a God that is omnipotent. He is an all-powerful God that can transform a life. Do you believe it? You can look at the hardest of people like yourself before you came to Christ and maybe your neighbor next to you. But know that God is all-powerful to change you. He's all-powerful to change your neighbor as well. And your boss. Or maybe your spouse in some cases. Or your children. 
do you believe that God will and has a desire to transform that, that person's life? Do not lose heart. God had a heart to change you. He has the same heart. He died for that person as well to the person who's coming into your mind. He wants to do a work. Why? Because he can subdue all things to himself. Not just certain things. He's all powerful. He can subdue all things. The word subdue means to arrange in ranks. And that's part of our problem today because we get all of our values are twisted up. And God has the ability to bring all things and get it all that twisted life and how you think and your values and, and being twisted. Every time you listen to someone who's going contrary to the word of God, he's just twisting you and spinning you around and your flesh. is. He says, I can come in and subdue it all. Take it and rearrange it in the proper order and according to my will and purpose and just let me transform you to do that. Will you? Will you let him do a work in your life? He promises he will do it. He says living for that, that future tense means letting Christ arrange the things in your life according to his proper rank. It means living with eternal values in view. His eternal values in view. Daring to, pro to believe in God's promises that he gives us. One of them, 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away, and he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you hold on to that promise and understanding? Do you just know, just keep a light touch on the things because the world is passing away. But if you will abide in him, in Christ, will, in the will of God, the will of God abides in you forever. And I'll leave you with this last, and it's Psalm 119, 133. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over. I'll say it one more time. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Is that your prayer today? Is that your desire to be a, re a reflection of your walk today? How's your walk?